Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. This is where we discuss vet-centric topics, the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know they're not alone, and perhaps along the way, we'll learn something about each other. We sincerely hope we accomplish that mission. The opinions expressed herein are mine alone as a veteran. Well, tonight we're going to chat with Ryan Terraciano. He's a Navy veteran who is determined to succeed in his healing, his business, and his life. And as you will hear, Ryan's a fighter, and he is laser-focused on helping his brother and sister veterans along the way. But first, here's some news of interest to our Hudson Valley veterans and military community. Well, the historic Arnott House has been saved from the Wreckers Ball and relocated when Amazon built a warehouse near the intersection of Route 17K and 747 in the town of Montgomery. It will have new life as a group home for Vietnam veterans. In November of 2020, it was moved within the Amazon site so as not to interfere with warehouse construction. The Montgomery Town Board is discussing a plan to acquire the house from Blue Water Property Group, developers of the Amazon warehouse, and lease it to the Yerick Israel Tony Foundation, better known as YIT Foundation, for use as a residential facility for Vietnam veterans. The plan calls for a four-bedroom house with four veterans residing there. There will also be a separate office for a care provider, a recreation area, and a third-floor meditation room. The YIT Foundation, headquartered along with Orange County Chamber of Commerce in Maybrook's historic Blake House, was founded by Sharon Tony Finch, a disabled veteran with a twofold mission to support families of premature babies and provide help for homeless and low income military service members in need of living assistance. The Medical Foster Home Program, or MFH, is a specialized housing program available for veterans with specific health needs who are no longer able to live independently but may not be ready quite yet for nursing home levels of care and is a private home in which the caregiver provides full-time care to veterans to live in their home. Sponsor, caretaker, provides meals, assists with medications, transportation to appointments, and serves as a connection to the VA. Current homes are in Dutchess, Orange, and Westchester County. For more information, contact MFH coordinator Lydia Estrada, at 845-831-2000, extension 215033. September 15th through 18th, the wall that heals will be in Mount Carmel at 84 Euclid Ave in Middletown, New York. Now, this traveling representation of the Vietnam Memorial in D.C. is authentic in every detail. The display is 375 feet long and 7.5 feet high at its apex, containing all 58,281 names of those who lost their lives in the Vietnam War. 
Now the trailer which transports the wall transforms into an education center so that friends, family, and those who did not serve may be able to learn more about Vietnam and put the wall in its proper perspective. For more information, you can contact the Knights of Columbus Council 16519-845-250-1466. Save the date for the virtual annual Caregiver Summit. The theme this year, Suicide Prevention, September 16th, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. For more information, contact Ann Milligan, General Caregiver Support Coordinator, Hudson Valley VA Healthcare System, and can be reached at 845-831-2000, extension 215122. Come one, come all to Hudson Valley Heroes, a free tribute concert on Saturday, September 17th, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Ulster County Fairgrounds. There'll be live music, food trucks, Star Wars characters, a rock wall climb, and the Lucky Orphans Horse Rescue Bingo, and much, much more. God and Country Living History event is Saturday, October 29th, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Best Western Hotel, 503 Washington Ave, Kingston, New York. There you will hear World War II, Vietnam, and Afghanistan veterans tell their stories in their own words. For tickets and more information, call 845-629-2864. The 2022 Veteran Arts Showcase is returning to the FDR Presidential Library and Museum. The showcase was founded on the understanding that arts are vital to veterans' reintegration for self-expression, recovery from after-effects of the war, and to reconnect with the community. The showcase starts off with an opening reception on Friday night, November 18th, and continues through Saturday, November 19th, and Sunday, November 20th. The showcase will feature a gallery of visual art and variety of speakers, performances, and workshops over the course of the weekend. All veterans, active duty service members, and their families are invited. We welcome crafts and visual art, painting, graphics, sculpture, photography, etc., and speakers, writers, musicians, performers to participate in the showcase. To apply, go to the website, veteranartshowcase.org. Fill out the application, follow the instructions. Simple as that. For more information, though, or to have an application mailed to you, contact Dale Weiss, 845-679-2161, or George Laws at 914-522-5518. Ryan Terraciano is a rather remarkable young man. As you will hear, he's a fighter on many levels, and I have no doubt that he will succeed. Welcome to Let's Talk Bets, Ryan. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Took me long enough to get back to you, didn't well, it? No, that's right. <laughs> the, best, the best things take time. Yeah. So let's let's start with your service, and, and you were telling me you had a bit of an unusual duty assignment. So I joined uh, service out of high school, just like most of us do. Um, back in 95, left for boot camp in September, and of course I went up to the Great Lakes. Went out to my first command as an undesignated airman. Basically, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I got assigned to the USS George Washington, CVN 73, Norfolk, Virginia, a nuclear carrier. 
brand new ship. It had just gotten back from its maiden voyage, its first actual med cruise when I got there. So I missed being a plank going by that much for that ship. Um, and he told me when I reported there, tell him that you want to go work on the uh, Waste Cats with the aviation bosun's mate. So that was my first job when I got in the Navy. And so I was launching birds off the flight deck because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was what you call a green shirt. Green shirt, okay. I wore the green color shirt in the V2 division. I was in the Cats 3 and 4, which were called the Waste Cats. Um, we were the ones who crawled underneath the plane and hooked up the whole back bar and the catapult system. And I did that for uh, uh, quite some time. I realized what I wanted to do one day when I was sitting in the, the galley on board ship. And I heard, you know, medical emergency come across the 1MC. Medical emergency, medical emergency. And, you know, they, they called off, you know, where it was on board the ship. And all of a sudden I hear these guys just screaming, make a hole, make a hole, gangway, make a hole. And they're just running. And, they, and I'm watching these guys. They are moving with a purpose. And they had all this equipment that they were running with. And they were responding to a call at the other end of the ship. Down. And I'm just watching these guys. And I'm like who the heck are these guys? And, uh, you know, some explained to me, they're corpsmen. When I saw how everybody respected what they were doing, and no matter who they were, they wanted to help, and they get out of the way, and they were being selfless. And I was like, that's amazing. I had no clue. So at that point in time, I went and went down to the medical department, started talking to the guys, and it all started from there. So I, I applied for A school, which was a hospital corpsman, up in uh, uh, the Great Lakes, up in Chicago, at the hospital core school. Went to A school, and then right out of A school, we chose our C school, which was the specialty that we wanted to do. I chose uh, radiation health tech. So at that point in time, I went to uh, Groton, Connecticut, the Naval Undersea Medical Institute at the sub base, and I went to radiation health school, radiation safety. And there was like 103 of us in the Navy that were radiation health technicians. It's not a lot. No. So what does that job entail? Well, we specialized in the nuclear side of the world, uh, whether it's WMDs, medical waste, radioactive so, so waste. So people that work around weapons and such? Weapons, uh, patients that are getting radiation therapies. Okay. And we also had to manage any medical waste from uh, NIH, which is the uh, National Institute of Health, where they um, would do testing to figure out cures for cancer and they would use different isotopes and all that waste had to get stored away until the radioactive material is no longer radioactive it goes through all its half-life and everything we also specialized on the nuclear side of it when it comes to uh, wmds you know weapons of mass destruction and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, we you know calibrated all the geiger counters you know and the stuff that counted and uh, detected radiation and all that stuff you take and care of the dosometers and yep. all that yep. stuff? Yep, we did all. We took care of all the dosometers, and we're the ones who uh, actually processed them for reading. And we had to keep track of everybody's exposure levels on board ship, when you're on board a ship, or on sure. command at the hospitals and whatnot. So how long were you in? Uh, I was in 95 to 03. Um, and is that what you did your whole uh, tour? Uh, yeah, so being a, a rad health tech and a corpsman, which was a rarity. It was a Marine Corps Master Gunnery Sergeant that was at my command at the time. And he found out that I was a corpsman that also specialized on the nuclear side because I had actually helped develop 
a rapid response team for dirty bombs in D.C. because there was nothing in place. So he asked me if I was willing to be part of a group called CBRF, uh, which is the Chemical Biological Incident Response Force. Their primary role was if you um, had intel of any types of WMDs, this group would go and do reconnaissance on it and report back on what they found. So I played with those guys for a while with the, with the Marine Corps. Were you deployed overseas at all? Yeah, I got deployed a couple of times mm-hmm. on board ship and also with a, a CBRF. I went and played over in the sandboxes a couple of places and whatnot. And so what kind of training do they offer you on separation to prepare you to make a soft transition back into the civilian world? Absolutely none. The date that I got out, the department that handles all the paperwork that I had to sign on the day that I was getting out was closed because of a holiday. And the master chief for that department had to come in from home and sign me out and because they didn't want to pay me to be there as a civilian for an extra day because then they got to pay me an absurd amount of money. Not one ounce of training. So when we were talking before, you mentioned that you were affected by some post-traumatic stress I deal with uh, PTSD. Okay, so what did you do initially to address PTSD? Because people are reluctant to talk about it to their superiors or to seek help because it limits promotion and, right? You're weak. Right. It puts you on the sidelines, so to speak. When I was in, we still had the old salts that were uh, in and, you know, back in the day to where, you know, you had to be tough and if you weren't tough yeah. you were weak and shake, if you were shake weak, it off they, yeah and they shamed you out right. so you never you never talked about it you never said so did you start experiences while you were still in I, I believe I did when I was in I didn't understand what it was mm-hmm. you know I didn't know that it was connected to crap that I had been through and I, I had no clue so I didn't know what I was I thought it was but, just normal yeah for a lack of better terms but i was angry at everything and everybody had a fuse that was so damn short yep i was never violent yeah and that was there was never an issue with me i I was literally just just this walking attitude and didn't have many friends because of it and i didn't quite understand and lived this solitude life and so you came to the realization that you had some issues and you needed some help but you told me also you're reluctant to go to the VA and a lot of people are or were why in particular was it just based upon things that you had heard or did you yeah. go to the VA and get shut never down never stepped or? foot in the VA okay i was so angry with the military how everything went down right. mm-hmm. that i wanted nothing to do with any of that at all and from talking to other friends and other people that dealt with that system and hearing the horror stories, I knew that if I went there and had to deal with it, yeah. I wouldn't deal with it the right way. Right. And so right. I was like, you know what? I, I have a full-time job. I have a career. I have benefits. What do I need these guys for? So I just avoided it. And you've got no way of knowing whether that would have been a help for you or not. No, there's no way for me to know. Mm-hmm. But watching my friends who dealt with the bureaucracy and the BS that mm-hmm. they had to deal with there and the fact that 
they would need a doctor's appointment and there's nothing available for months, but yet there's nothing available for them to go in place of that doctor. Right. Why is it set up to where we have to go there? Why can't it be treated like regular health insurance where we can find an in-network doctor or an out-of-network doctor, whatever it may be, that has the ability to see us and go see that doctor? Why do I have to go to the VA? Mm. Yep. You know, there's guys that are dying because they need a procedure. Right. And they can't get in to see it. But there's hospitals that have the ability to see you, but you can't because you have to go to the VA. Why? Right. I had health insurance with the careers that I was in, you know, and I just didn't have to deal with it. So you had a good job. You had a good career. And then uh, along came COVID. <laughs> so tell us what happened. COVID was the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? The shutdown. Yeah. I know it sounds odd, and I, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody who had a hard time dealing with it and lost family members and whatnot. I, How so? I was working. I was part of the management team at the Cartwright Resort and Indoor Water Park. That's over here, right? Yeah, over in Monticello. Monticello. I was working 16-hour days, five, six, seven days a week. I loved, absolutely loved the people that I worked with. I had never worked with such an amazing group of human beings that was the management that worked there. With any job that I ever had prior to when I worked for a banking company, you know, this was a company that actually cared about you, but the problem was is staffing was an issue and the guests were absolutely mean to you. And I didn't realize that I was going down that spiral again because I was getting beat up on a daily basis at work. And then the pandemic happened and we got sent home. They shut us down. We literally got a phone call saying, hey, we're not coming back to work. It's going to be two weeks before we open back up. Hmm. Story that everybody heard. So two weeks go by and we're having meetings. We're not opening up. We're not opening up. That went on for months. We got a list of things that we had to get in place from Governor Cuomo to be able to uh, open back up. And we actually went above and beyond what they wanted us to do. And they stopped returning our phone calls. They stopped returning our emails. I was part of the management team. I, I, I was part of this. Yeah, yeah. This is all hearsay. And it got to the point to where they let the casino open up, but they didn't let us open up. And we had more things in place to protect the public than the casino did. But they wouldn't return our calls or emails. So I decided, you know what? I, I, I can't deal with this. And the reason why I say it was the best thing that ever happened to me is because when the pandemic happened and everything got shut down, I was out on the river four or five days a week with my son on my kayak, fishing and hiking and everything else that you imagine outside. And I came to the realization that I was slowly drowning at work. And when I got outside, I literally found a peace of mind that I didn't know was there. It literally turned into a form of therapy for me to where I was sleeping through the night. I wasn't having night terrors. My fuse wasn't as long as it used to be. I wasn't snapping at my son. I became a nice person again, and my stress was gone, and my anxiety was gone, and, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go back. I can't go back to, this, to the resort because I came to the realization that I was literally finding my peace outdoors. So I started thinking about it. I spoke with a friend of mine, a civilian aide the Secretary of the Army down in Philadelphia and D.C. and whatnot. And I, I did a lot of work with him and other individuals in the city of Philadelphia and working with, you know, VetNet and 
uh, the Veterans Coalition and stuff like this, and New York with the uh, DAV and IAVA and the Travis Manning Foundation and so forth. There was a bunch of them that we did a lot of work with. And I was like, you know what? I want to start a 501c3. And I want, to, I want to be able to take veterans and first responders and dispatchers, because a lot of people don't realize, because I'm a volunteer at the Jeff Ambulance Corps, and I'm a volunteer at the Kashekin Ambulance Corps, and I'm a volunteer at the Sullivan County Rescue Dive Team. And all these guys, even those, because they're not prior, some of them are prior military, they all deal with the same head issues that I deal with, because they're seeing a different version of war. And the dispatchers, especially, that nobody thinks about, they're on the phone, and they can't do anything physically but listen to this nightmare that's happening, and they have to sleep at night. So I wanted to start a program where I could take veterans out, put them in a kayak, put them in a canoe, put them in a tube, give them a fishing rod, have them go fishing, take them on a hike, take them camping. You know, I had this vision to where we're doing a two-day uh, kayaking trip, where the first day we're going down river and then we stop at a campsite. Campsite's all set up and ready to go. Fire's going, there's food on the barbecue waiting for them, the tents are all up. We pull up our kayaks, we get out, we sit down, we have some amazing food, and we just sit there and talk around the fire all night long about whatever we want to talk about, whether we want to talk about the BS that we went through, or we just want to talk. It's up to us. And then we go to bed in the morning, we wake up and we go down the river again for another day. And then we get off the river and we come back to the campsite, camp another night, and then go home in the morning. I wanted to do this to get veterans out there and first responders to let them see that there's other forms of therapy. You may not want to go talk to a therapist because we don't want to talk to therapists because they don't know what we've been through. Correct. Because they haven't dealt with it. They're just sitting here listening to us talk to them and writing things down in a notebook. We don't talk to these people. We don't want to. Some of us don't. Some of us do. I talked to a therapist. It worked out great. But there's other forms of therapy that we can do. Archery, fishing, hiking, canoeing, camping, all that stuff is an alternative form of therapy. So I wanted to get people into that. And so I opened up the store, Catskill Outdoorsman. You're the owner of the Catskill Outdoorsman. Yes. And establishing this business has been and continues to be a struggle, but this kind of evolved out of your effort to help other vets. Yes. And and to make a living while you're at it. Yes, right? an attempt to make a living. I was kind of surprised when we talked initially, and you told me, and I, I did some due diligence on this, and you're absolutely right, not that I doubted you, but as a reporter, you have that's to. what you, you have, have to. to. So I was surprised when you told me there was very little federal or state financial assistance for veterans like yourself trying to start businesses, and the banks are absolutely no help. Yeah. Tell us about that, trying to secure some kind of finances to open this establishment, not only for the, you know, secure the building, the insurance, the business process, all the stuff, plus the stock, all that stuff that goes yep. with it, it's an expensive proposition. Extremely. I have no money to do it. Right. And I'm too proud to ask for money from a friend. Right. Or, uh, and then you finally decide, you know what, let's go ahead and give this a whirl. Let's try and find money. Let's go talk to the banks. Yeah, you step outside of that comfort zone, and I'm going to go talk to the banks, nervous about it, because I'm asking for help, and I don't want to ask for help. And then the banks won't even talk to you. So that's, bam. It's a hammer on a nail, just pushing it farther under that block of wood. So now you're looking for programs that are going to help me find financing as a veteran, as a veteran-owned business. And you're scouring the Internet, and everything that you're finding is grants only for existing businesses. 
nothing new to help me open up. Mm. Bam, there's another whack on that nail. So then you reach out to the VA, which you've never done before. Mm-hmm. And I spoke with John Crotty, an amazing human being. Yeah, sure he is. And he goes, you know what, Ryan? There's nothing that I know of to help you. Right. Bam. Another whack on that nail. So now I reach out to my friend uh, Kenneth Wong, civilian aide to the Secretary of the Army, working in the Pentagon and outside of the Pentagon, all these veterans. Business. I called him and I said, hey, Ken, do you know of anything, any programs to help a veteran open up a business financially? And he's like, huh, off the top of my head, no, but let me get back to you. He leaves, gets off the phone. He does his thing. I'm, I'm looking. I can't find anything. I can get a loan for a house with a right. horrible credit score, with a VA loan, score no money down, and, and not an issue whatsoever. I can get that. Right. And you see on TV, veterans are your best tool for your business. They're management, right. this and others. Right. and. Right. They're great people. Veteran businesses are the thing to do. But now I can't even get a loan but to how, open how up a business. Started. So I, Ken calls me back and he goes, Ryan, there's nothing. There is a gaping hole in the assistance that we're providing our veterans. There is absolutely nothing. There's programs to help me start business by teaching me, mm-hmm. but nothing to help me financially. Right. And I'm like, wow, we really dropped the ball on this one. It ain't the only one. Oh, no, it's definitely not the only one. <laughs> but, I mean, seriously? Until yeah. I and, talked to you, I never thought about it. You know, I really never thought about it. And I never had anybody else mention it. I, I put together this five-year plan that I designed it to make it to where the inventory that I sell would pay to not only replenish itself but also expand and to do that I couldn't pay myself and when I reached out to the banks to to get financial assistance you know I was only I was looking for about 150 to 100 to 200 thousand dollars started up and I'm all ready to sit down at the table and, and give them my vision and give them my plan and show them on paper how I see that this can do it this can work So you had a business plan. I had a plan. And they wouldn't even schedule an appointment until I got a hold of one bank. And the individual on the phone said to me, and he goes, hey, look, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. And I said, please do, because I can't get any information anywhere on what's going on. And he goes, no bank is going to sit down with you. I said, okay. And he goes, and here's why. He goes, you have no skin in the game. And he said, you're asking for a bank to lend you money to create inventory and open up a business when you have nothing into the business. And he goes, and because of that, no, no. you have no incentive to do good to get that money back because the bank is the one that's taking the risk, not you, because you don't have anything into it. If you had like 30% of what you needed into it, then the banks would sit down with you. And the thing is, is I really didn't. When they shut us down, I everything that I had in savings went away to pay my bills. So if you had had a house or something to put up as collateral, that would have been a different story. I could have taken a loan out against my house. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a, but you didn't have a house. No. And this this individual is the first to explain to me that's not going to happen. And you know what? And I said, you know what? And I appreciate you being honest because you're the first person to tell me this. 
because I've been on the phone with credit unions. I've been on the phone with local banks. Local banks that say they're going to, they want to make the community grow yeah. would not even sit down with me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So what I ended up doing is, is I started trying to find individuals who could help out. And I had two personal friends who said uh, that they could lend me some money to do it. And these individuals weren't in positions at the time to where it was like, you know, they were making good money. Now, this is one of them was a single dad, a personal friend of mine. He ended up getting what we call COVID rich <laughs> okay. um, from all the money because of his daughter and everything. And he just put it in the bank. And I sent him my five year and I looked at it and he goes, because I think this is a great idea. We did our research and he goes, I got 20 grand I can lend you. Yeah, well, I started crying. I, I said, you got to be kidding me. Absolutely. And another personal friend of mine, you know, he, he has no money. He lent me five grand. So, but for that, you started off with literally nothing. I, when they told me that they could do that, I was like, well, I got to get this thing open. I literally maxed out every single credit card that I have mm-hmm. just to do the construction work and get the space built. And how long have you been here now? Not even a year yet. Not even a year. No. And um, and you started to get you had some problems getting inventory in for the same reasons, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. So when I first opened up, I couldn't get any inventory. Uh, the kayak companies weren't taking vendors on until 2023 and 2024. And I was trying to put together a rental Probably fleet for speed. because of COVID, right? Yeah, COVID shut so down had, everything. They, they had couldn't. stock that they had to move before they started. Well, it's because the big box companies. Oh, I see. When you look at Walmart and Dick's and Tractor Supply, yeah. they have contracts with them that they have to fulfill their orders. Ah. So because there was a shortage right. in things being produced, they had to fill them so they couldn't take anything new on because they were having difficulties providing product for all their other people. You know, so that hurt. And then the the fleet of skis that I was trying to get to put together to do ski rentals because I had families that wanted to rent skis. Because yep. we have 17 ski resorts around us and for only sure. two places that you can get skis from. And they're an hour away. And they couldn't even put together a fleet of rentals because nothing got produced or manufactured for two years in Germany and Sweden because they got shut down. Ice fishing gear. They said, well, I can't get it to you until mid-April. And I'm like, we're not fishing for ice. We're fishing on ice, guys. There's no ice left in April. It doesn't do me any good. Right. Had to cancel that. It, I had everything coming at me. Negative. Everything was screaming. This is not going to work. And then Caleb, uh, the rep for Bear Archery at the time, they had bows that they could send me. Thank you to Bear Archery. I got bows in. And the rep was an amazing human being. He goes, we're only going to get you stuff that you're going to sell in that footprint because of the median income in that area. Sure. I said, okay. Lancaster Archery were able to give me a wholesale account with them. Mm-hmm. And they sent me a little bit of inventory. So I actually had archery gear. So I was like, you know what? We're going to open up the archery range inside. The whole back of the building is going to be an archery range. And I'm going to do leagues because I've got to do something. i got to get open. I sure. can't keep yeah. you know, running here on fumes with nothing going on because the owners of the building... They helped me out so much, they held on to the space for over six months without charging me a dime because mm. they want this here in town. And you're you're also a technician as far as archery goes. Yeah. Is that something that you taught yourself, or did you go to school for that? Or? I learned a long time ago uh, the bakes, basics of it when I was in the Boy Scouts. I instructed with them. 
um, when I was uh, a little bit older. And I've always had an interest in archery, and I've always worked on bows, uh, friends' bows. I never really, never really had time or the money to buy my own good bow because mm-hmm. for me it was always a recurve bow. Right. And I had a good group of friends that I'd known when I was in the military as well that taught me a lot when it came to working on compound bows. And it's something I always loved doing, just never really had the time to do it because I was working 16 hours is a day. That, in is that a America. weapon that's used in the military these days? Bow? No, they're not. But no, I've, I've been working on bows for quite some time. And, and it's funny because it always came... The mechanics of it, the physics behind what these bows do and how the, and everything and how they work, it's, it's always made sense to me. It was intuitive. Yes. Right. So you're also working very closely with the new Sullivan County Vet to Vet in Monticello, and you started some archery events or an archery leg? Or... Yeah, so I had a couple of guys just show up. I was three guys. I had the full beard going on, and, and they come walking in, and they're like, oh, you know, we're vet to vet over in Monticello, and what we do is we provide programs for veterans to do to get to get them out of their house and give them something to do, and we pay for it. I'm like, okay. Kind of like the same thing that you were talking about and as exactly far as like, river, right? I'm like, um, yo, that's amazing because I told them I was wanting to start up this 501c3 for veterans and everything, and they were like, like well, now you don't have to because you can do it through us. I said, absolutely. Wow. So I went and I filled out the paper with them. So I'm a registered veteran-owned business with vet to vet which is Action Towards Independent, um, with Alex uh, and uh, Lauren, who are, and then also Ryan. They all work there. And so now what happens here is every second Wednesday of the month, we do a veterans night. From 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., a veteran can come in here, um, active duty, you know, a reservist, they all come in here and they get to use the archery range. I have equipment for them to use, or they can go outside and they do some axe throwing, and it's all free of charge for them. Because what Vet to Vet does, because they're a state-funded program, is they actually pay me for the veterans to do it. So they're helping me by providing me business, mm-hmm. and I am now get to in return help the veterans, which is what I've been wanting to do. Wow. The issue that we're running into is the typical issue that we deal with veterans. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It seems to be a um lack of enthusiasm in the veterans community and getting involved in some of this stuff and is that generational is it i i believe it is i i look at these kids that are getting out i, I had these two kids that were having difficulties they were suffering through their ptsd as a young married couple and i love these two kids to death and they were dealing with a lot of mental health issues and they were doing the same thing that the rest of them were doing which is just not getting help not asking not really even knowing what's available for help the thing is is we've been programmed when we were in to suck it up and because it's been programmed into us for so long it's what we keep doing what we do find that when a couple of veterans get together even if they never serve together both of their attitudes and their personalities they change it's because regardless if one of them deployed or not deployed, regardless if one of them is a combat vet or not a combat vet, it doesn't matter. They're both veterans. They both went through their own piece of hell. And they know what needs to be said, what doesn't need to be said. And you literally can just stand in a room with a bunch of other veterans not even say a word, and they all will breathe a sigh of relief because they, their brother is right there with them again, and they have that camaraderie, that, that, that what they've been missing since they got out. So now we're involved with Sullivan County Vet to Vet, and yep. every second Wednesday, yep. you're doing an archery thing here. 
Archery and axe throwing. Until 7 o'clock at night. 5 to 7. Yeah. What do you do, coffee after that? or Whatever. You know, I'm open till 9. Let's Talk Vets is on the second Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Is it? There we go. So we start when you finish. There you go. <laughs> okay. The building that you're occupying has a unique history you were telling me about. Let's <laughs> share that because I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, so here where I'm at, is the address is 4882 State Route 52 in Jeffersonville, right? Yeah. From what was explained to me is the front portion of this building was a schoolhouse. Which was here? No. No. This was up the road by where the Lions Field is, which is the baseball field by the town hall. Okay. And what they had done is back in the day, apparently it was cheaper to pick up a building and move it than it was to build a new, build a new one. So they pulled the building up, they put it on logs, and they had a team of horses. I mean, they rolled the building down to where it is right now. And then they added on the back portion. There used to be a bell on the top of the building, and that bell was school, taken. School bell. Yep, a school yeah. bell. That bell was taken, and now it's on display up at the uh, Sullivan West Elementary School. So it was school. like a one-room schoolhouse is what it was, um, Actually, guess, right? two stories. Two it stories. two rooms. Wow, big time. Yep. I always wondered why the stairs to the second floor were really wide, like six and a half, seven-foot wide stairs, and very long sloping. Okay. That's because of the schoolhouse. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of people who can go up and down. And then he built this back of the building on, and they put a bowling alley in. And now it's uh, the Catskill Outdoorsman. Okay, so what would be your message to area veterans? There's other ways to get help. It, ta- it does take a lot of courage to admit that you need help. And you, know, you may feel like you're alone, but you're really you're not. You, you've got this uh, amazing network of brothers and sisters that all serve that will give you the shirt off of your back to help you out. And if those demons, they come at night and they keep you up, reach out to somebody because it's not weakness to ask for help, man. It really isn't. Right. If you don't want to talk to the VA, then talk to a buddy, somebody else that was in the service maybe. Even if it means a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I'd rather take a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning and, and then meet you here at the shop and put a bow in your hands and have us just shoot arrows and get our minds off of things than to have to deal with putting another brother in the ground. And we're in, no, we're in no way trying to discourage anybody from contacting the VA. But if you find no, that absolutely you, not. If you find that you cannot, then um, it's, it's time to talk to a, a peer, somebody who else who understands. And... We all get the fact that we don't have to talk about the problem. Just being with each other in the right. same room and just hanging out and having a good time. Right, it's cathartic. That's enough in most cases. Okay, get out so on the water. Found something outdoors. I mean, that's why my mantra is, you know, find your peace outdoors. Cause if somebody literally. wants to talk to you about this, how do they get in touch? So uh, you can reach me through our Facebook page, uh, which on Facebook is The Catskill Outdoorsman. Um, you can get a hold of me through email, which is ryan at catskilloutdoorsman.com. You can give me a call. You know, my cell phone number is 856-500-3080, you know, or the store, 845-482-2041. You know, there's all kinds of ways. If you need to find something that you can do to get your mind off of things, come and see me, man. I got so many ways that you can do it. And 
Okay, well, Ryan Terraciano, thank you for joining us on Let's Talk Bets on Radio Catskill, WJFF. It's my pleasure, man. Well, here's a story that we don't like to talk about, but uh, these stories keep coming about, don't they? U.S. Navy service members who are seeking religious exemptions to the DOD COVID-19 vaccine mandate have been transferred into deplorable living conditions and in some cases are unable to leave while awaiting termination from the military. That according to court documents. First Liberty Institute filed a lawsuit back in November on behalf of 35 active duty SEALs and three reservists seeking a religious exemption from the mandate. The case has since been amended to extend to a class action lawsuit encompassing all Navy service members seeking religious accommodation. In March, the Supreme Court blocked a lower court's order in Texas that would have forced the Navy to stop implementing the vaccine mandate. Now, the case is continuing to be litigated in lower courts around the country and unvaccinated SEALs and other sailors who have not yet been terminated by the U.S. government are stuck in limbo, with many of them forced into less than desirable alternative housing by the military or barred from traveling outside their base. In a court filing in June by First Liberty, sailors recounted deplorable conditions on large U.S. vessels where they remain waiting for their cases to be adjudicated. One sailor who is now part of the class action lawsuit said in a court filed declaration that they, quote, could not leave the area, unquote, after asking to be terminated from the military due to religious objections to the mandate and were moved to the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower aircraft carrier's berthing barge, where conditions are, quote, unquote, deplorable much like the USS George Washington, which is anchored at the same shipyard. There's mold everywhere. The barge's toilets back up and leak. The water leaks out of the base of the toilet and collects near the racks and out into the hall and on bad days goes to the other side of the barge into other berthings where other sailors have to live. The leaks appear to be sewage. The Navy has not granted a single religious exemption to the mandate. There are currently 4,244 pending, according to another recent filing by First Liberty. The military is no stranger to undesirable living conditions for active duty members. For example, Army's Fort Bragg in North Carolina, which had a series of issues in its barracks, including rampant mold, asbestos, and water leaks. The barracks, which were built in the 1970s, became so problematic that soldiers had to be relocated. In addition, there's a series of toxic water lawsuits on behalf of current and former service members against Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, which may have exposed more than one million military members, dependents, and government employees since the 1950s. And the hits just keep on coming. The Johnny Isaacson and David P. Rowe, M.D., Veterans Health Care and Benefits Improvement Act of 2020, includes a provision for Government Accountability Office, or the GAO, to report on VA's efforts to provide benefits to Vietnam vets for certain conditions associated with Agent Orange. Government Accountability Office. That must be a lonely place.
There you go again. Recently, the GAO released the details of the study that shows only about 8% of Vietnam vets who received disability compensation claim decisions for three conditions associated with exposure to herbicides were granted benefits by the Department of Veterans Affairs, according to GAO's analysis of VA data from fiscal year 2003 through 2021. And during this period, GAO estimates that the VA granted benefits to about 11,000 out of 130,000 Vietnam veterans for three conditions. These conditions are early onset peripheral neuropathy, or nerve damage, and two other skin conditions resulting in skin blisters. These conditions are unique in that they must have manifested within one year of service in Vietnam for VA to presume a connection between the condition and exposure to the herbicides used in the Vietnam War, such as Agent Orange. GAO's interviews with claims processors suggest that they evaluated claims for these conditions inconsistently and based on inaccurate interpretations of VA's claims processing procedures. Specifically, during interviews at three selected offices that process Agent Orange claims, GAO heard inaccurate statements about one, when the one-year manifestation period requirement applies, and two, what types of evidence can be used to address this requirement or support requesting a medical opinion that could be used to support a veteran's claim. VA's guidance does not clearly address these issues. Without clear guidance, claims processors may incorrectly apply the one-year manifestation period requirement when veterans have evidence suggesting a direct connection to service and in turn could inappropriately deny benefits to some Vietnam veterans. The GAO estimates that removing the one-year manifestation period requirement for the three conditions could cost the VA, aka the American taxpayer, between 16.7 and 25.8 billion over 10 years. I would humbly submit to you that if we can spend 440 to 600 billion over the next 10 years to relieve student debt from people that allegedly could read and write and signed a document making them responsible to repay their student loans, the cost of taking care of our military members and veterans should be irrelevant. We wrote you a blank check back by our lives. Now it's time to pay up. This estimate includes disability payments of $12.6 billion to $18.5 billion for about 130,000 to 217,000 veterans with these conditions, although primarily for peripheral neuropathy. It also includes increases in VA healthcare and administrative costs. And for more information, you can contact Elizabeth H. Curta at 202-512-7215. Sometimes it seems like all we discuss is bad news. I desperately want to bring you some good news, but until our elected officials stop playing games with the health of our active military and our veterans, I must continue to report to you the hard truth. It's time to hold these people accountable. And when you go to vote, make sure you understand the records of the people you are voting for as it relates to the military and the VA. 
Now, in our last program, we reviewed some of the most egregious injustices affecting U.S. military personnel and veterans. The common theme seems to be Congress's failure to act on issues which threaten the life and well-being of those who are and have served until it becomes a political liability. Then and only then will our representatives and senators get off their collective butts and at least make it look like they care about us. The current list of atrocities includes care for those exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam. It only took, what, 50 years to get that squared away? The burn pits in the Middle East, 20 years. The Phillips CPAP recall. The polluted potable water at Camp Lejeune. And the substandard ear protection issued to so many over the years, and I have no doubt that list is much longer. Stay tuned. Now, whether you are among the 1%, not the uber-rich, I'm talking about those who put their lives on the line to protect us all, the roughly 2 million active and reserve military protecting the 332 million Americans as of 2021, you should take note. Enlistments are dwindling due to a variety of reasons, including those mentioned above, and adoption of a culture which is less concerned with maintaining the most formidable fighting force on the globe and more concerned with policies designed to quote-unquote level the playing field by reducing standards, allowing those who may be physically or mentally unfit to serve to enlist, and in general transforming our military establishment into a kinder, gentler place. Folks, the military has one purpose and one only, and that's to defeat the enemies. And I'm fairly sure our adversaries are only concerned with defeating us. So I'll leave you with two questions to ponder. One, how well prepared will we be to meet the coming existential threats from China, Russia, and Iran with a force composed of folks who cannot meet tough physical or psychological standards and an overall non-aggressive mindset? And two, who's going to provide you with national security when the 1% have had enough? During the summer of civil unrest, mayhem, and insurrection across the U.S., we repeatedly heard the phrase, say their name, to emphasize those who were allegedly killed unjustly by law enforcement, and indeed, those who were should be remembered. As you probably know, August 26 was the one-year anniversary of the suicide bombing, which killed 13 U.S. service members during the final hours of President Biden's chaotic retreat from Afghanistan. Their deaths were unnecessary. Please take a moment to reflect, as we do what their commander-in-chief has failed to do, say their names. Marine Corps Lance Corporal David Espinoza, 20, of Rio Bravo, Texas. Marine Corps Sergeant Nicole G. 23 of Roseville, California. Marine Corps Staff Sergeant Darren Taylor Hoover, 31 of Utah. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Knaus, 23 of Corrington, Tennessee. Marine Corps Corporal Hunter Lopez, 22 of Indio, California. 
Marine Corps Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, 20, of Jackson, Wyoming. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Dylan R. Marola, 20, of Rancho Cucamonga, California. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Kareem Nakuri, 20, of Norco, California. And his older brother, Dakota Halverson, 28, who tragically committed suicide in California next to a public memorial to his younger brother, just days shy of the anniversary of the attack. Marine Corps Corporal Dagan William Tyler Page, 23, of Omaha. Marine Corps Sergeant Johnny Rosario, 25, of Lawrence, Massachusetts. Marine Corps Corporal Umberto Sanchez, 22, Logan's Port, Indiana. Marine Corps Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz, 20, of Wentzville, Missouri. And Navy Hospital Corpsman Max Soviak, 22, Berlin Heights, Ohio. Well, we wish to acknowledge the following people and organizations that made this show possible tonight. 13 brave men and women who gave their lives helping others to flee the coming collapse of Afghanistan one year ago, August 26th. Ryan Terraciano, U.S. Navy veteran. The Military Times, New York Post, and Fox News Digital. And, of course, you for joining us once again on Let's Talk Vets. Let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future shows. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may feature them on the air, both in our normal public service announcement segments and this program. You drop me an email at vets at wjffradio.org. If you or someone you know is experiencing problems or need to speak to someone, 24 by 7 confidential crisis support is available. It's simpler now than ever. All you have to do is dial 988 and press 1. You can still send a text message to 838255, or you can start a confidential online chat session at Veterans Crisis Line, that's one word, dot net. Until our next formation, I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. So we'll leave you tonight with a song by Louis Armstrong from the soundtrack of Good Morning Vietnam. It was very effective in that movie as it accentuated the stark contrast between the lyrics of the song and the setting. In that regard, it's as relevant today as it was then. Good night. I see trees of green Red roses too I see them blue For me and you And I think to myself What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white 
bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Also on the faces of people going by, I see friends shaking hands, saying how they do. They're really saying I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They learn much more. I never knew And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world